I'm looking forward to interview my guest today. M. Elwood of Elwood's Organic Dog Meat will talk all about how exactly you run a dog meat farm, how you get certified, and of course we'll also cover all the controversies associated with this topic. It's going to be a very tasty conversation, so stay tuned. Welcome to the EcoChat Podcast. We discuss topics in conservation, animal welfare, and environmental science to learn how you and I can make a difference. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Well, I'm really excited to be joined by my guest today, M. Elwood of Elwood's Organic Dog Meat, which is, I believe, one of the only organic certified, sustainably raised, and free-range dog meat farms out there. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Elwood's Organic Dog Meat. Uh, we're local here, and uh, we have, yeah, free-range, sustainable, organic dog meat. This is a very interesting and potentially controversial topic because <laughs> most yes. people, they generally eat cows, chickens, pigs, right? So mm -hmm. what got you started in producing dog meat? Yeah, well, actually, it's funny. It's not. Um, it's not actually my story. It's um, my uh, my husband and I are our step uncle. He started the farm uh, back in 1981, and it was just something he he was just doing for himself. He was he had a few dogs that he you know regularly butchered and um, butchered and ate and bred, and um, he started getting a, a lot of sales through his neighbors. They were interested in trying it. And uh, then he took it to the farmer's market and it really kind of took off from there. So my husband, Landon, and I, our involvement was actually just um, maybe about five years back. We were at Thanksgiving and enjoying a Rottweiler roast for Thanksgiving as we do. Um, and we might've drank a little bit a little bit too much wine and uh we were like we were like you know what we should really we should really join the farm and help expand it because you know we had been living in the city and we felt just really out of touch with nature and with just kind of being human so we thought it'd be you know it'd be a change of pace to go you know move out to the country and you know plant some roots and you know really connect the dots between where our food comes from and what we put on our table. So yeah, we uh, joined up and uh, we added it to social media and we broke, you know, kind of broke out, broke the mold of just being a quiet, small family farm. We went on social media and we've gotten a lot of attention. So yeah, that's, uh, that's where we are today. Yeah. I noticed your website, your social media pages have grown tremendously. So congrats yeah. on that. Thanks. Thanks. How many dogs do you have on your farm right now? Yeah, well, it kind of fluctuates based on the season. Um, on average, uh, we have around 8,000 picnic breeds. Those are the small breeds. Those are, you know, like terriers and um, chihuahuas. Uh, we have 300 medium-sized breeds. That's corgis mainly. And around 200 or so larger breeds, Labradors, St. Bernards, that kind. Wow, that's a pretty large scale. Yeah, it's, you know, it's still a family farm, though. You know, some people want to say that once you get large, you know, it's not it's not the same, but it is still run by family. So it's fine. Nice. And what's the turnover like? Like how many dogs are slaughtered per day? Well, again, also it fluctuates depending on the season, depending on if there's a holiday coming up. Um, you know, so we do produce around 500 picnic dogs a week um, and about 20 medium to large dogs a month. So um, that's one of the things that's we're really popular, but it's we sell out really fast. So. 
So you mentioned picnic breeds. So these are smaller breeds like Chihuahuas, Pomeranians, and then a few medium-sized dogs like Corgis, and then a few larger breeds. So I'm curious, what are the main breeds of dog meat that you offer? And what would be your top three recommendations? Yeah, so uh, probably they're one of the same. Our top sellers are our kind of favorites. Um, Labrador. Labrador is our number one top seller. It is also the core of the farm. Um, it, it The steaks are amazing. Um it, it it's you you just can't get anything better than that um we do corgis corgis especially i don't know you know you eating corgi legs but th- that is a fabulous a fabulous dish especially as i'm thinking like here the super bowl is coming up so we're really gearing up with, with a lot of uh corgis being prepped for that um and then pug bacon is uh also huge we we sell pounds and pounds of pug bacon at the farmer's market. We always sell out. There's always a line. There's always people waiting. Um, that is fabulous in a, you know, a, a pug bacon lettuce tomato sandwich. Um, and if I can name a fourth one, just because it's so darn cheap, Chihuahua is, is, you know, the majority, if you want to go by, by dogs, the amount of dogs we sell, it's Chihuahua hands down. You're starting to make me salivate because <laughs> I'm starting intermittent fasting, so I haven't eaten yet today. Oh, no. So sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, when you mentioned pugs, my, my eyes lit up because I'm an absolute fan of pugs. And yeah, they, they just seem to have the perfect fat to lean meat ratio. So, yeah, I think pug bacon would be just amazing. It is. It, it's a great alternative to pork, too, just because of that leanness. It, um, you know, it. It fries up really well. It still has that that kind of indulgent feeling, but uh, it is uh, it is leaner and it is better for your heart. On the topic of pug bacon, I'm curious on what's the difference in like taste and texture between pug bacon and pork bacon. And same question for Labrador steak. Like, what's the difference between that and beef steak? Yeah, well, pug bacon. Let's just say, for one, it is not. If you tried to make the switch from pork bacon to turkey bacon and you were just like, oh, this is awful. It is not that. It is definitely a lateral step, not a step down. Pug bacon is that lean, greasy uh, balance that we love. You can make it crispy. You can make it soft. You can cook it any way you want. So um, that it has just that yummy, crispy, fatty, you know, think of bacon. That's what pug bacon tastes like it just again a little a little fewer a fewer calories so better for your heart um when it comes to labrador and steak they are the same you do have to cook them at a lower temperature just because of i don't know the the density of the of the meat um but you can cook it rare you can cook it well done however however you like your your beef steak you can do the exact same with a lab because it is you know at the end of the day it is meat so uh however you like it uh it and it you know, some people might think that it might be more gamey or something, but these these dogs are fed a vegan diet, which uh, really evens out that flavor. And, you know, we've done a lot of experimenting over the last 40 years with what we feed our dogs and to make sure that that flavor is what our customers expect. And it is a fairly one to one with the steak. So on that note, what do you feed your dogs? 
Oh, they get a wonderful mix of grains, grasses, and um, fruits and veg. It's, it's it's pretty interesting. Squashes and um, they, you know, dogs are dogs are omnivores, uh, but we we are able to feed them this vegan diet. Sometimes we try out. There are some vegan foods for dogs. It's just expensive on a large scale, so a lot of it we go to um, neighboring farms and we get a lot of leftovers. You know, stuff that was going to be going into the trash. Um, also, that is another thing is a lot of food waste. We we go to the restaurants. We pick up a lot of food waste. We make sure that it's separated by, um, so we're not feeding our dogs any other dogs or meat. Got it. So I just want to jump back briefly to your recommendations. So you mentioned corgi legs, Labrador steak, pug bacon. Mm -hmm. Are there any other favorite dog recipes that you would recommend? Oh my God. You know, just the other night we made my favorite mutt loaf. Um, <laughs> I know it sounds funny, uh, but mutt loaf is ground lab. It's mixed with corgi and pug sausage. And I like, it's really, it's, it tastes just like you'd remember normal meatloaf to taste. It's, um, we put in, um, a lot of cumin, a lot of um, breadcrumbs, salt, pepper, some Worcestershire, uh, a can of tomatoes, um, or crushed tomatoes and whip that all up, bake it just like a normal meatloaf. And, you know, all those, all those flavors that you add, just make it, you know, it's perfect. I love it. Especially in winter. That's just like, you could make a giant mutt loaf and it'll last you the whole week. Mutt loaf sandwiches is great cold. Well, I was leaning towards buying some pug bacon off your site, but I think you might've just sold me on the mutt loaf. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's so many options on the site. It's really yeah. hard to choose which one but yeah i think mutt loaf would be the first thing i would try out yeah yeah it's great you just start you start with one and you just kind of eat your way through it and find out what you like and you know what you want to buy again mm -hmm, for sure so besides meat are there any other products that your dog farm offers yeah we uh we do uh golden doodle milk it is that dogs do create milk just like cows do, just like people do. You know, we impregnate them, we take their puppies, and then we uh, make the milk. Uh, they make well, they make the milk. We just take it, um, and it's great in coffee, cereal. Uh, we do we do pasteurize it, um, but if you want unpasteurized milk, we can. That's a little, you know laws around that but we can work around that with anybody who's interested um we also do eggs uh we don't talk about it much just because it's just the it people laugh um but we do have pomeranian eggs uh our uncle did some weird science and bread and it's just it's just the same as if they were creating a period normally but they create it outside of their body so wow uh they're delicious yeah i know i know it's so weird <laughs> i really need him to get i need to get him he he refuses to be on podcast but our step uncle really needs to talk about the weird science he did there uh because i can't speak to it without you know messing it up so okay <laughs> maybe we won't go down the rabbit hole of dog eggs but <laughs> For dog milk, I'm kind of surprised, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised because <laughs> dogs are mammals, so they do produce milk. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm just curious, how do you milk dogs? Because I think most people are familiar with how to milk cows, but is milking dogs yeah. the same thing? Same, same. They uh, walk themselves to the uh, to the barn uh, two times a day. Uh, we hook them up to the machines. Um, they're very patient. They want to be milked just as much as we want to milk them because they're pretty uncomfortable. So, uh, yeah, we hook them up to the machines. Obviously, dogs create less milk than cows, but um, 
we we price it accordingly and it people people love it you know it's it's really good for people who have lactose issues uh for some reason it doesn't affect that so people can um people can enjoy milk you know they don't have to go with oat milk or soy milk or flax or peanut or cashew or you know any of the other you know gross plant milks they can they can enjoy the taste of mammal milk that they know and love so i think you mentioned that they like to be milked Otherwise, they would be uncomfortable. Yeah. So could you elaborate more on that? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, just I don't know if you know any humans who breastfeed, but it's just like that. You know, you that your body's creating milk for your child and uh, you got to you, you have to express it either fed to a baby or, you know, put it in a machine. You got to pump it. So um, they if if you don't if you don't milk them, they'll they they will release milk. So um yeah, they're super, they're, they are eager. Dogs are, you know, they're not as smart as pigs, but they do know when they knew, they do know what is going to give them the relief they want from, from the milk. So, and as long as you keep milking them, they, they give milk for, you know, I don't know, probably about like nine, nine months or so, um, until we have to impregnate them again. Very interesting. So what breeds of dogs do you use for milk? And were they like selectively bread in order to produce the amount of milk that you need? Yeah, we uh, we do golden retrievers and uh, specialty golden doodles. Um, and it's just their milk just ended up being much creamier. Also, they produced a lot more milk. It's just that we, we did we did heavily breed them in order to find, you know, whichever dog created the most milk, we bred them, you know, with and, and bred their puppies with other, you know, similar producing animals. So that way, we get the most milk. Um, so, you know, cause and we also want them to produce for a long term because the minute they stop producing milk, then, you know, they're kind of a, a waste for us and we have to put them into the, um, you know, I mean, we can still sell them their meat at that point, but yeah, we, we've, we did breed them for this. They are. Uh, and also just for the record, these are not pets. These are dogs that are bred specifically for meat or for dairy. So Yeah. Okay, so it seems like you've selectively bred these dogs to produce a large quantity of milk, right? So if if you weren't there to milk them, then what would happen? Like, would they be just super uncomfortable? I mean, if they, you know, they probably would dry up and they would just stop making milk, you know, just like just like a person. If you stop breastfeeding your baby, your, your milk will eventually dry up. So, you know, that... We don't have puppies around. We we get rid of the puppies after after the after the uh, they're born. So there's no puppies around to drink that milk. So uh, we got to get it and got to get it out of them. So when you say you get rid of the puppies after they're born, what exactly does that mean? Um. So just you know, I know it's a lot of a lot of people think that this is um a horror story, but really it's a sustainability story. You know, we have, we have animals that we impregnate. They have babies, the females, um, they go into become dairy dogs. So they just enter right into the cycle and it's fine. It's great to, you know, um, we feed them actually soy milk, uh, while they, uh, while their mother, you know, is being milked for us. Um, and the male dogs, um, because these dogs are bred for milk, they're not good for meat. They're just, it's just the, 
the cuts are wrong. The, the, they're just, it, they're too lean. And also the males grow really big. Um, and we can't really afford to feed. Uh, we're not just gonna, we're not a charity. So, uh, those dogs are killed when they're still puppies, uh, generally for veal. Um, and, uh, that's one of our big sellers in the springtime. All right. Fair enough. And I mean, I assume they do this for the cow milk industry, right? Right. I mean, discarding the, the baby cows after birth. So why not dogs? Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. So I'm curious, you place a very strong emphasis on being organic certified, humanely slaughtered and free range. So what do those three even mean? And how did you get these certifications for your dog farm? Yeah, well, let's start with um, humanely raised, ethically raised, you know, um, there aren't really uh, rules or laws or standards for certifying those labels. Uh, it's pretty much up to us farmers. Um, so since we love our animals, though, we definitely say it. Uh, so we do say that they are humanely raised, ethically raised. Um, as for humanely slaughtered, um, you know, the the rules are just to be rapid and effective, Right. That I mean, and that is so helpful just because it's not specific and I don't we don't have to, like, follow any specific, you know, how to do it. But, you know, because we are humane and ethical and we want to be humane uh, to meet this requirement, you know, we we harvest our dogs with a single blow or a gunshot or electrical shock or, you know, some other means in order to uh, slaughter them. But, yeah, it is all done humanely um, and right here on the farm. Okay, so as long as it's rapid and effective, mm -hmm. you'll meet the certification requirement for being humanely raised? Yes, it's great. It's, it's, so, it's so good for us. And does this apply to all farm animals? All animals. Yeah, this is, yeah, there's, you know, there are, there are no, um, in fact, there are very few rules about how animals need to be raised. The only laws are about you know, transport about like how long you can put them in, in, in a truck. But uh, because we don't transport our animals, I mean, for the most part, we do, we do sell a few here and there. Um, but we don't, I mean, the rules are, the rules are made to help us farmers, you know, be as effective and profitable. And we're really grateful for that. So, you know, and what's great is it leaves it up to us farmers. And because, you know, you're buying from a family who cares, you know, that's, that's why you choose a farm like ours, because you want, you want to make sure they care for their animals. They care for their dogs, uh, before, um, they arrive on your plate. So you can trust because we say it, that we do it. Okay. But is there anyone from the certification system who actually comes to your farm and inspects and just verifies that your animals are quote unquote humanely raised? Uh no. No, there isn't. There is a um you know, if we want to get it, we we could get some of the we could get a, you know, a seal, something that says, you know, it's got a name on it, like red tractor or something. And, you know, what's great is those those people are farmers just like us. So they come out and they tell us you're doing good. And yeah, so it's fine. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, since you mentioned that it should be rapid and effective mm -hmm. slaughter, yeah. I was just wondering, is there any instance where the dog doesn't die from this? And if so, then what's the protocol? Hit them again, you know, it's, we, we want them to, uh, we, we want them to be dead. This sounds really morbid, but we want them to be dead as much as they probably at that point 
kind of want it to be over. So, right. yeah, hit, hit them again, um, you know, and sometimes, sure, you know, especially especially with our picnic breeds where, you know, we're, like I said, we are slaughtering a lot, you know, 500 picnic dogs a week, which means sometimes they slip past. Um, but, you know, that's rare. Um, and you may see lots of videos and, and, and you may think that those videos are really old and they happen somewhere else. And, but they actually happen here. It's common. It happens on family farms. It happens on factory farms. And it's just, it's just the cost of doing business. I mean, if, if I feel like if, if people have a problem with animals, uh, you know, experiencing the miracle of, you know, a full circle of life and death, um, they have to be willing to, uh, deal with you know, the mistakes that sometimes happen. Fair enough. Let's move on to free range now. So what is considered free range and how do you get certified for that? Yeah. So uh, the USDA requires dogs to have, you know, some access to space outside of their shed. Um, so we do that. We have a, you know, uh, we our dogs are in a shed. Uh, they do have a door and maybe an individual may have never actually stepped outside herself. Uh, maybe the door is too far away. You know, maybe it's crowded. Um Maybe, we, you know, especially in the winter, we have in the summer, in the winter, we have fans that blow over the doors that, you know, sometimes the dogs just don't want to walk through it. Um, and I, you know what, I say that's on them. <laughs> you know, they could have gone out, but they didn't. So we're following the rules. And um, and maybe you might have read that, you know, free range dog farming actually um, raises the risk of dog born pandemics. But that's, you know, that's BS. And I just wanted to clear, clear the air right now that, you know, we do the th- the free range aspect of our dogs is one of the reasons we sell so many and why we're so we're we're doing so well is being able to tell people they have that door. I'm glad you raised the topic of pandemics and diseases because I'm definitely eager to chat about that later on. Yeah. Um, but just going back to the final certification here. Yep. So organic certified. So again, same question. What exactly does organic certified mean and how do you get certified for that? Yeah. So our um our our dogs, that means our dogs aren't given antibiotics. So um we don't give them antibiotics. So that that means they're certified. Uh even when they're sick, like say when a dairy dog's udders get infected, you know, uh we don't give them antibiotics. Medicated dogs uh lose their organic status. Uh, so we can't do that. So, and, but, you know, also no growth hormones. So that's good. Um, as for how to get it certified, that was something that my step uncle did. And I don't really, I don't know the steps. Hmm, okay. So it seems like there's pros and cons to being organic certified then, right? Because on one hand, yes, you're not injecting them with growth hormones, which might mess up their health, which is a good thing. Yeah. But on the other hand, if you have a dog which is sick, you can't prescribe it with any antibiotics or else you lose the certification. But yeah. then that means the dog might be more susceptible to to death or disease. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So, but, it, you know, generally, you know, we keep an eye on our animals. And um, if, if one is... One is sick and it, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's progressing. You know, we, we humanely euthanize and, um, it's just, you know, one of the sayings about farming is you can't have livestock without dead stock. 
And that's just, you know, it's one of the tough things about being here on the farm. And that's something we didn't realize being in the city. You know, we romanticized it. We're just going to come out and going to have some dogs. And we're just, you know, once a month, we're going to quietly slaughter, you know, a couple and, and it'll be fine. But, you know, it is an everyday thing. We go through every day. We find, you know, we find any animals that didn't make it through the night. We find any that, you know, maybe are too sick or got stepped on or, you know, just couldn't couldn't access the water. So, um but yeah, it's just, it's the life and death of, of eating farmed animals. It's so, yeah. Okay. And I guess, I mean, all the other meat farms are like this too. So I guess it's just a standard operating cost, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So who's your typical customer? Because I mean, dog meat is a, is a pretty controversial <laughs> topic. So I assume not a lot of people would buy dog meat. So I'm just curious, what are the demographics of your customers? Yeah, well, you you know what you you'd be surprised. It's uh, a lot of there's it's two. It's actually I I can say it's like it's like two groups of people. One um, diehard locavores, people who want to eat local. We've got a lot of you know people who hunt, people who really you know they live they they want to live off the land. They you know maybe they don't have they don't have the uh the space to uh have their own animals but they still want to have that feeling of supporting their neighbor supporting their local communities they they buy from us we've got a lot of our step uncles friends and their you know neighbors this is a very much a community thing we 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 live and die by our community um so they support us at the at the at the farmers markets and stuff but then we also have this this is what our step uncle was missing and why Landon and I really you know helped out with Elwood's was um, there's a younger demographic that wants to also be connected with their food and they're young, urban, they are affluent, they have the money and they, you know, these are the, this is the whole, whole foods crowd. They were looking for grass fed hormone free beef. They want cage free eggs. They want, they want this, you know, harmony and peace on their plate. And, you know, they're not really willing to, I don't know, look up alternatives. So they, they choose, a local family farm and we're there to support them and, you know, make sure that they don't have to, they don't have to make those sacrifices that some people make, you know, by, you know, going vegetarian or vegan or, you know, pescatarian or something like we, we can, we can help them feel good about the choices and they don't have to change a single thing except for maybe their mind a little bit about dogs. Yeah. I feel like there's a growing proportion of people who hope to eat more quote unquote consciously so yes i I guess it makes them feel good to go for products which are organic certified or humanely raised right yeah they feel really good about it that's something that they tell us a lot you know we we do these diy dog harvests where you can come and harvest your own dog and there are some i mean that is definitely a select group of people they want to go and they want to get their hands dirty so to speak uh and learn how it's done um but for the other people who who they just they just want the the flavor of meat and they don't want to see anything that happens you know it's enough just to see it on our label that we're doing good and then they don't have to think about it and they don't have to they don't have to witness it and they don't have to know every step and we're here to do that for them you know we're um you know doing the hard work so other people don't have to yeah it seems like a great marketing tool right all you have mm-hmm. to do is slap these certifications mm-hmm. like organic certified sustainably raised free range yeah. onto your products and it's not too hard to get these certifications and it's an instant magnet for these people who want to eat more consciously right 
Yeah. People love it. You know, people love just reading labels and feeling good about themselves. I think, you know, that's what the marketing world is. So uh, we are happy to uh, put whatever label you want on uh, our dog and uh, sell it to you. That sounds kind of cynical, but, you know. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move on to diseases and pandemics since we brought that up earlier. That's Um, fun. (laughs) There has been a lot of diseases that originate and spread in industrial farms such as like avian flu, swine flu, etc. So are you concerned that these diseases might also pop up for your dog farm? And what do you do with sick dogs? Yeah, so uh, this is actually a bit touchy. It's pretty close to home because we have had, um, we did have an outbreak of canine influenza at our farm, uh, dog flu, uh, back in March 2022. Um but like you said, this is this is so typical of what happens across animal agriculture since the beginning of time. You know, it was funny before joining um, Elwood's, I was at the Smithsonian in uh, D.C. and I went through a a entire display on uh, pandemics. And it I was amazed to see how almost, uh, you know, I'm. I'm going to be wrong on this percentage, but let's say 90% of all pandemics started with animals, you know, I mean, you can AIDS, all of these things are caused by close contact to animals. So while that is problematic at the same time, you can say it has always happened and there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. Like there's nothing, absolutely zero alternatives to eating meat and eating, eating animals. So, you know, it's just something, it's something you prepare for. It's not something you prevent. So, um, yeah. All right. And you mentioned you were hit with this canine influenza. So how did you handle that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, March 2022, uh, both our Chihuahua and Pomeranian sheds were hit. Um, so we quarantined them and uh, gently, you know, over, you know, took a little bit of planning, but we gently depopulated and disposed of all 8,000 dogs in um, humane approved manner. Um, and we we followed the same USDA protocols used for bird flu. Um, our Pomeranians were quietly asphyxiated with firefighting foam. Um, that way they just, you know, drift off. Um, and the Chihuahuas, uh, they were, they softly succumbed to heat stroke via ventilation shutdown, um, which you've seen them do with pigs. You know, both these methods are tried and true and humane and efficient. So... Okay, and this is the USDA protocol for other farm animals, right? Yes, a hundred percent. We followed it word for word, line for line. Um, it was it was tough. I, I I will say it was tough, especially you know the 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 ventilation shutdown. We went in afterwards. Well, Landon did. I I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to do it, but Landon went in and found a few that had not um had not died, um, and so he he did have to shoot a few. So ventilation shutdown, what exactly is that? It's uh turning the heat up in the in the um it, it like I said, it activates heat stroke in the animals, which is just, you know, it's the most humane way to to kill such a large number of animals. Um and it and, and it's it, it is completely like again, it is USDA approved. There's absolutely no controversy about it. No one is fighting it. Everyone, you know, even even veterinarians support it. They think that ventilation shutdown, you can Google it and find out, you know, this is a uh, it's fine. OK, so seal up the area, 
turn up the heat and mm-hmm. the dogs will slowly die due to heat stroke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So what about, um, you mentioned being asphyxiated with firefighting foam. What exactly is that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just exactly what it sounds like. It's a, you know, we have, like I said, if you have, if you have a shed full of 2000 dogs, you can't, you can't, you know, it's, it's too much work for one person to, you know, go through our normal methods and, and as well as the fact that they, they are infected with influenza that can pass to humans. So we got to, it's, this is a, a dangerous situation. So, um, we just fill, fill, you fill the shed with foam with, it's the exact same foam that they use for firefighting, um, for fires. So it's a foam, uh, it covers the dogs and they, you know, asphyxiate. It's, you know, it's not scary to be covered by foam and asphyxiated. It's just, you know, if I had to go, that's what I'd choose. I mean, I'd, I'd probably choose that over ventilation shutdown, honestly. And where or how do you dispose of the the dead bodies? Well, it depends. I mean, it, the ones with the influenza, we did we do bury them um, on the property. Uh, we have a big lined you know, big thing of visqueen and line a, a big pit and fill them with there. And um, we just follow the USDA guidelines to make sure that there's no runoff eventually as the, as the bodies decompose. Hmm. Okay. And while we're on the topic of slaughtering, and uh, yeah, this is getting more and more depressing. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's such a downer. <laughs> yeah, I promise we'll move on to lighter topics very soon. Um, we just have a, <laughs> very, a few more curious questions on this topic, um, one of which is, since the sense of smell for dogs is so strong, mm. when you take them to the slaughterhouse, do they know what's going on? I mean, they're no, they're they're dogs. They don't they don't know what's happening. It's they're you know they trust us. They know us. They 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 don't know. I mean, we we keep them separated so that so that they're you know we try to make it especially the big ones. We make sure that they don't see. Uh, the dog ahead of them. So, uh, but other than that, no, I just, I think that we try and, we try and personify dogs too much and, and think that they think they don't think, I mean, like I said, they're, they're dumber than pigs. I hate to, I hate to be, you know, (laughs) to be like that, but they, they are dumber than pigs. They're, they're, you know, we spend time with them every day. These, these are just animals. It's, it's fine. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that it's scientifically proven that dogs are dumber than pigs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if if you eat pork, then yeah, why are you so upset about dog meat? I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, and it, you know it it doesn't it doesn't help to ask questions like this because people are still going to eat them. So, I mean, what would it? How how would you? Uh, I mean, people aren't going to change if they found out that, yeah, the dogs totally understand what's happening. They're they're going to eat the dogs anyway. So um, I, I think it's I think I, I stand by that. They don't they don't know what's happening. Fair enough. So how does the slaughtering process work? Um, yeah, if you're comfortable with answering that. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I think we need to be more transparent and, you know, people want to know how their food gets on their table. And so we do have to, you know, as a farmer, we have to be able to answer these tough questions. So um, I'll just, I'll, I'll walk you through um, our different types. So 
how do you humanely and ethically slaughter a dog? Um, it all depends on the breed. So, and, and I, I want to say first off that it all happens here on the farm, every step, you know, from birth to harvest, um, we breed them, they, we take care of them. They're harvested all here on the farm. Being in one place makes it so much better. Like it just, it feels mentally better. So I just want to clear that up. Um, they're not, they're not in a truck going, going to slaughter. I mean, some are, but most of them, most of them are here. So, um, our, our picnic breeds, our smallest breeds, um, the chihuahuas, for example, are hung upside down. Um, uh, their legs are gently forced into metal stirrups where they hang upside down. And then we humanely slit their throats. Um, so where did you get this protocol from? Like, do they do this with other farm animals? Yeah, this is this is the way you slaughter chickens. Um, so I mean, it's we actually bought an old chicken setup with the stirrups. Uh, we modified it to fit their paws. Uh, yeah, and it allows you to do large numbers at once. Like I said, that is the the biggest. We we slaughter so many <laughs> chihuahuas, ch- chihuahuas day in and day out. Uh, because everybody needs everybody needs those uh, Chihuahua legs for the Super Bowl parties. So, uh, yeah, we can hang them up on this uh, on this uh, uh, belt kind of thing. It's got the hooks on them, and we hang them up. And then you can just you know, as soon as as soon as their throats are slit, they're just taken right through the bat, the hot bat that takes the uh, the fur off of them. So, okay, so we talked about the smaller breeds, the Chihuahuas, Pomeranians. What about the larger breeds? Yeah, uh, let's see our. Um, I'll go with our, our medium breeds next. They are electrocuted first. Um, we take them through an, uh, uh, an electric bath, uh, uh, electrified water bath, essentially. Um, and that, that makes them unconscious. Um, and then they are similarly shackled, hoisted by their back legs, and then their throats are gently cut. So, um, they are also unconscious, um, when they are again, killed at the end. So, same question is this protocol used for other farm animals yeah this is this is also something that is done with um with with chickens i believe it might also be done with ducks and maybe pigs i can't remember um which which animals are electrocuted but i do know that um it it is something that's commonly done with chickens too that it's this is good for corgis which, you know they they put up a fight but uh, they uh they're good. Once they go through that electrical, that electrocuted bath, they are, you know, it's, it's peaceful. It's very peaceful. Um, so yeah, the, and the larger breeds, um, we, it's a, it's a gunshot or, um, a bolt gun rather to their head first. So they are, they're, you know, like our, a Labrador is brought into a squeeze shoot. They're held very tightly and, you know, so that they're they're still um and then it's a bolt gun to the head that that just they are knocked completely unconscious um and then we hoist them up too um and uh ethically uh end their life through a with a throat cut yeah okay well i've never been thrown in an electrocution bath before (laughs) nora have i gotten a gun pointed to my head but i was just wondering like what are the dogs aware of what's going on like do they ever feel stress fear or pain i mean it it is so quick and they they don't know what's happening it's not like they haven't watched videos of this they don't this is new to them but you know they don't 
know what's going to happen. Uh, and like I said, all these methods are safe, rapid, effective, and most of all humane. So, I mean, I don't know how it could be scary to be electrocuted, to be, you know, to unconsciousness. I don't know how that could be painful. It's just, it's, it's the circle of life, really. Um, yeah. Right. And they're dumber than pigs, right? So I guess they don't really know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, have you ever met a corgi but i'm just saying these animals are not uh this it's not i mean i don't think i could do this to a pig but a dog they're you know and especially when you do it with so many after a while it's just you know there's not a lot of feeling to it on on the farmer's end which makes it a lot easier got it and you mentioned harvest events a moment ago can you tell us more about that Yes, yes. Like I said before, we do a DIY harvest event for people who are interested. We especially do this around Thanksgiving. Um, and we do a little more rustic version of this. We're not definitely not bringing people in and having them put put the chihuahuas uh, up on the uh, on the, the machine. Uh, we have cones. Uh, you can you put the dog in the cone and their little head pops out the end. And that way you can you can bleed them um, a lot, a lot uh, cleaner and quicker and it, it feels it, it feels a lot better to do it that way it's much more hands-on from beginning to end um and we actually have one coming up for valentine's day i don't know when you're going to air this but we have a valentine's day harvest coming up so romantic ends with a farm to table dinner for two well that's definitely a unique activity for valentine's day that's <laughs> great so needless to say i would imagine your work is pretty controversial right especially mm -hmm. to people in western cultures who a lot of them might be pretty appalled to hear that you raise dogs for meat. So what's your response to these people? I mean, if you're going to eat meat, you're going to eat meat, right? I mean, they, they're, they're raised for this. A, a dog is a pig, is a cow. It's really, I mean, again, we can talk intelligence. We can say a dog is dumber than a pig. But when you really get down to it, it's made out of meat. A dog is made out of meat, just like a cow is made out of meat. Um, for you to draw an arbitrary line in the sand, not you, but anybody. Sorry, it gets me worked up. If you were going to put a draw, draw a line in the sand, I mean, which I don't know where you would. Maybe you would just drop between you and animals and then you, you know, suddenly you're just eating lentils or something. Um, so for any, I mean, we get a lot of hate. I don't know if you follow us on social media. We get a lot of hate. We got a lot of death threats. We got a lot of phone calls, but you know, Again, these are not pets. These are raised for it. It's the circle of life. And if we didn't breed them, these dogs wouldn't even exist. So, um, I mean, there there are so many arguments for eating dogs if you're going to eat any meat. And there's so many arguments to eat dogs instead of other meat because it is better for the planet. It's better for your heart. They have a smaller uh, carbon footprint than a lot of other animals. So, um, and again, you have the final aspect is like if you're going to choose it, if you want to support um, local and you want to support organic and humane and ethical and all the things we've talked about, you want to support a farm like ours because we're doing it right. You know, from beginning to end, we are we're saying the things that you want. So, yeah, I guess that was a rambly answer. Yeah, Sorry. No, no, I do get your point. I mean, these people who are criticizing you, they, they kind of have double standards because at the same time, they are eating other meat like pork. Right. And as we mentioned, I mean, pigs are more intelligent than dogs. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they're more sentient. They can feel emotions. They can feel pain, stress, sadness, etc. So, I mean, if, if they're okay eating pork, then 
why are they giving you such a hard time with your your yeah. dog farm? It's just, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's the same. I I I feel like if you're gonna eat meat, uh, give us a try. So, all right. Well, it's really hard to change someone's perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can say what you want, but at the end of the day, it's it's really hard, and they they really need to change from internally. So, yeah. If someone is listening to this and they're still really disgusted, opposed to your dog farm, is there any resource you can point them to? Yeah. If you go to elwooddogmeat.com slash about, uh, you will find a bunch of reasons uh, to, um, you know, change your perspective. All right. So I think now is a good point to transition into reality. It's a good spot. <laughs> you know, we've been talking for like 30 minutes. We've Jesus. been role playing and our audience is probably thinking, what the hell is going on? Or they, <laughs> they've, they've left and they're writing a death letter right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I think we can finally reveal to the audience that none of this is real. Okay. No. So there's no real dog farm. There's no dog meat. <laughs> If you are still confused, I repeat, none of this is real. And if you felt upset, angry, triggered, well, then actually you're on the right track because that's exactly the purpose of Elwood's organic dog meat. So first of all, let me just do a quick reintroduction of not M. Elwood now, but Molly Elwood. Hi, that's and, me. Yeah, she is the creator of Elwood's organic dog meat. So yeah. what exactly is Elwood's organic dog meat? So Elwood's Organic Dog Meat is a animal activism, animal rights art project kind of thing. I don't know what to say. Experiment. Um, it is a website to help people walk through their cognitive dissonance about who they put on their plate and why. So it's elwooddogmeat.com. It's got social media attached to it. Um, and it just guides people on a journey. They think it's real. And then they have to go to the website to find out whether it is and it's there. They just got to dig a bit to find the truth. Nice. And we'll definitely go more in depth about your project in a second. Um, but I'm just curious, who are you in real life and what's your background? Yeah. So my name's Molly Elwood and I am a copywriter. I have a background in advertising. Um, I've been vegan seven years in February and I'm just somebody who wanted to, I don't know, I wanted to do some activism that was, it's funny because it was, <laughs> I, did, I wanted to do some activism that didn't take so much work from me. <laughs> I just wanted to make a website and have people solve, you know, for veganism on their own. Uh, but now I do this full time, which is pretty awesome. So, yeah. yeah and it's such a brilliant attention grabbing idea. I, yeah. You've definitely tricked millions of people, including myself, to click on your website and learn more. So, yeah. How did you come up with this idea? Yeah, so uh it's funny. It it it's it it really is as simple as I wanted a really good vegan bumper sticker and I didn't like what was out there. My husband and I, my husband's vegan too and we are sharing a car and um we were trying to figure out what is a bumper sticker we'd both agree on. And I wanted something like wishy wash you know vegan is love and he wanted something like be vegan for the planet for the animals here you know here's some facts some hard-hitting facts and we're joking because the bumper sticker kept getting bigger and bigger um and then we we'd been drinking and we were just thought oh my god what if it said elwood dog meat and look like we were selling it and what if we just put a bumper sticker next to it that said haha why you mad um 
And then, and then we just, I decided to do that. I just, I, I made the, I made a bumper sticker. It's a really, a really, it's funny because of all the things from this thing, I'm so proud of that. I made a big giant magnet for my car. It says Elwood dog meat. Um, and then I built a website to go with it and I built social media to go with it and it went, it went viral. And, uh, so now I run a dog meat farm. <laughs> yeah. It's such a awesome marketing magnet because i mean a lot of vegans they have stickers but they just say like go vegan or mm -hmm. proud to be vegan and when people see this right they either just ignore it or they roll their eyes but yeah it doesn't elicit any conversation or response whereas right when they see organic dog meat then most people would be like what the hell's going on and they're inclined to learn more yeah yes exactly um and it just reminds me, like, my vegan journey was so much, I saw something that I didn't believe I was seeing. And so then I I went online and Googled it and did all this research. And I put the time in. I didn't talk. I mean, a lot of vegans helped me get to where I, where I you know, to that point. But um, it is, I feel like a lot of people, for them, the journey is a, a, a personal journey you have to do on your own. And so I'm hoping Elwood's is, like, the first step for some people to have to dig into it. Mm -hmm. So how much have you grown so far on your social media and on your website? Yeah. Um, so I launched this in July 2021. And we're recording this February 2023. So um, the website has had 2.9 million unique visitors um, since then. So 1.9 million in the last year. And Facebook has 73,000 followers and Twitter and has 12,000 and Instagram, 14,000. I have in uh, TikTok. I don't really do a lot with it. Just it's just it, I'm one person. It's a lot to manage. Yeah. You, you need to keep creating short videos, which yeah. is a lot more effort than images. Yeah. It's and I actually found that that um, I, I put a lot of time into, into videos and they they just don't get as many shares. And I think that there is a. um especially like, so Facebook is kind of my bread and butter for that. That's where people share most things. And I guess I just think that the, the static posts look a lot more realistic than the posts like that are videos and require more, you know, I, I think, I think it might be too confusing to try and portray through video. So, yeah. Did you ever have concerns that your project might backfire or have negative impacts? Yeah, um, especially when it first went viral, it was um, that was very scary because it was suddenly out of my control. And I was like, have I thought through all the implications of this? Um, and I did. And I came to the conclusion that I think it's doing more good than harm. You know, that some of the common questions I get and I had, which was like, is this going to increase people's want to eat dogs? And I came to the conclusion and I put it on the about page, which is, um, I don't think one, it's not turning vegans, non-vegan. So anybody who is that, that eliminates that anybody who's already eating meat is going to eat meat. If they're going to eat a dog, I mean, I would feel very bad, but to me, a dog is a pig. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's going to influence, you know, somebody legalizing dog meat in America and, and somebody opening dog meat farms. Um, so there's, there's that. And then, you know, worried about any violence that could happen because of it. I have a lot of activists that follow me and, you know, I have stickers and things and, you know, the worry that something could happen to them when they're out doing activism. But I, I think that a lot of activists are 
you know, they do, they're doing dangerous work. It's just, it, it is, it is intrinsically dangerous to try and change people's minds about something that they feel so passionately about. And whether you're doing it with dogs or whether you're showing them, you know, what happens on dairy farms, it's, um, it, it it's a risk we all have to take. And, and if, if I'm afraid to do something like this, you know, I don't know. I, I, yeah. So. Yeah. I really like your point on how activism or just changing people's perspective is intrinsically dangerous. Mm-hmm. So on that point, I'm curious, what types of responses have you gotten so far, either positive or negative? Yeah. So I get, I get a handful of responses. Um, and it's interesting. So I'll start first with the people who know what it is. So vegans pretend to be eating dog meat, which is great. So they all my comments are just filled with a whole bunch of vegans pretending to eat dog meat. So when a non-vegan happens into the thread, they are caught. I just I just picture it like a caught in a spider's web. And they're just like, wait a minute, what is going on? Who are all these people? And then they just immediately start fighting with people. And what's great is then I personally don't have to be there. And there are so many like, I feel like it's just a bunch of, you know, activists who are just waiting. They're just waiting for someone to happen by that they could engage in conversation. So that's really great. Um, I, I have vegans who think it's real and they obviously are mad. Uh, and then I set them straight. I have a lot of non-vegans who, um, they think, they think it's real. They think I'm farming dogs and they get very upset. Um, and those are my, those are my favorite. I really, I like sharing them. They, these people are having a, a vegan experience. They can get very emotional. I have had people go vegan or, you know, at least tell me they're going vegan or exploring veganism because of this when they make the connection and figure out what it's about, which is the most powerful and the purpose of the whole point of, of the page. Nice, nice. So I, yeah, it's fabulous. And I try and share as many of those as I can see, but it's, it's hard because sometimes it's just happening in the comments on some, somebody, a vegan has shared it and now it's a conversation that people are having on their page. Um, or it's a non-vegan who shared it, who was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and, uh, and they have that conversation there. Um, but I do have a voicemail set up. And so sometimes I'll get those calls and I shared on my YouTube channel, a, a woman who called three times and she was a, she was a veggie farmer whose husband was considering adding cows and chickens and she was feeling uncomfortable about it. And she thought first she thought Elwood's was real. And then she thought it was a joke. And then she called the third time and she's like, oh my God, I get that this is not a joke. And I have never considered veganism to be serious until this moment. And I was just like, yes, this is great. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. So would you say the most impact from this would be like having a non-vegan see this Mm -hmm. and think, what on earth is this? And then click into your website Yes, where they're basically, they, they go through this funnel, this emotional journey where they they rethink their perspectives and right. then in the end they come out reconsidering their actions. Yeah. And and even if it's like even if it's just planting the seed. Again, I think there's there's people who who are reading this who have already considered veganism and they're already feeling uncomfortable. They're already making the choice to buy free range this or humane that because they care. I remember being that person. I remember just before going vegan was me standing in the egg aisle upset that my humane cage-free ethical eggs were sold out. And I was like, what am I going to do? Just not buy eggs? Like, I don't know. What do I do? So those those are the people who who will read Elwood's and be like, shoot, maybe I do have to do something. 
But then there are these other people who have never even considered it. And they, they see this and they think it's funny and they follow it. And then maybe, you know, some of the posts I post are funny. Some of them are just boring, but every so often there's ones that are really real. And that person who's been following along thinking it's funny suddenly goes, Oh wait, is this based in reality? Because that's, that's something I haven't said yet is all my posts come from farms. They're not made up. They are, I mean, I'd say 90%, 90% of my stuff comes from, I go through Instagram, I go through Facebook, I find posts by farmers that if you just replace it with a dog, suddenly it is horrifying. And that is it. And so some people see that and they'll message me and they're like, I realize now what you're doing. You know, I'll post about a fire where somebody lost, you know, my my farm lost 300 dogs to a fire and, you know, they all burned alive and everybody's like, ha, ha, ha. But somebody goes, wait a minute, did that actually happen? And I'd be like, as the dog farmer, I'd be like, oh, it's similar to this, you know, this woman who all of her, all of her pigs died in a horrible fire or, and yeah. So connecting the real, the real life to this is, yeah. is another level. Yeah. That's an important thing to note. So all your posts all the info on social media, on your website, are based on what real farmers actually say, right? Yeah. But you're just switching the animal with dogs. Like, even in our role play, everything we said about the certifications, about the slaughter process, it's really what happens for farm animals, but we just replaced it with dogs. With dogs, dogs yeah. And I might add, like, like, for example, today I just posted about a... um. There's a big, a big, and it's funny because there's really big things happening. And I just, there's so much to cover that I just, I, I find that I find the post that pisses me off and then I change it. So I may not be the biggest issue of the day, but the fact that it's just happening all the time. So today there was a, um, there's a big ice storm that's happening in the South and I follow a egg hatchery place that they're shipping out chicks for backyard, backyard chicken, egg people, um, and all their boxes of of chicks are now held up there's they can't they can't reach their final destination so there's boxes boxes and boxes and boxes of probably hundreds of baby chicks and they're all stopped in places and they are now just being delivered to random you know hardware stores and they're advertising being like do you want discount chicks we gotta offload them we got hundreds of them and they're just you know I mean, the, the fact that they were shipping animals live in boxes through the UPS or the USPS is crazy. And then to know that, like, they are these lives are at, in danger just based on weather, you know, they, they can't be delivered. So now we hope we hope there's enough people in this area who are going to go and buy all these chicks and get them out of boxes where they will stay there, at least until weather changes and so I just took their post and I changed it. And the only thing I added was um, a person I follow on Twitter said a really, a really good, um, a really good line. Let me see if I can get it. It is um, backyard chicken farming. It, you know, it's, it's actually, it's just a kit you buy from a factory farm, which is true. You're buying, you're going to a factory farm to buy your chickens, to have your backyard egg experience. And so I just did backyard dog farming is just a kit you buy from a factory farm. And I'm like, D- that's not true. We're, we're, we're a family. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. People just treat farm animals like commodities. Yeah. Right. And I, I don't know if people are aware of this or if they just turn a blind eye, 
Mm-hmm. But if you yeah. switch the animal to dogs, then suddenly it's a totally so, different suddenly reaction. It's, it's horrifying to hear that we have boxes and boxes of day-old picnic, like a day, they're only one-day-old picnic puppies that are just in boxes. And Come on down. Why do you think people get so upset about dog meat, yeah. whereas the same people have no problem eating pork or eggs or other animals? Well, it's shocking. I mean, we we are so removed from from our food. We don't see them. We don't see faces. We don't see paws. We don't see, or you know, even let's let's say we're talking about pigs. We don't say ears. We don't say noses. We don't see tails. We see just meat. We have we have cut them up and made them so separate. I do think that farmers do show their animals, especially small family farms. They like to show them side by side. So it is that is happening to to some extent. But I think that you know we have dogs in our houses. We we feel we feel them. We feel their warmth. We touch them. They 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 touch our lives. They are you know we dress them. They're our babies. I personally don't have a dog, but this is what I hear from dog owners <laughs> that they have they have these you know intense feelings i don't know and if like you pet a you pet a dog uh and you feel their little thighs they they feel just like a little chicken thigh and it is so close it is like this sudden wake up um and to think somebody is doing that to dogs is horrifying i mean it's hard it's hard being this far on the vegan journey and be like why don't you see that with other animals (laughs) but yeah i mean people love dogs the dogs are just they're the golden, the golden animal. They're yeah. the, they're our sacred, sacred animal. Yeah, and I think that's why Elwood's works so well. You're kind of mm-hmm. hitting them with their own values using satire, right? And I think satire is a very effective way to get a message across, right? Because it's more light, it's less confrontational, less threatening. Oh yeah. Like I see a lot of posts from other animal rights pages which show like very literal content for example leaked footage of a slaughterhouse Mm -hmm. where there's like blood splattering everywhere and it's horrifying and Mm -hmm. people just don't want to see it right so they skip these posts and what this does is it makes the twitter or facebook algorithm basically unfavor that post because people aren't engaging in it and so that post doesn't reach a lot of people because the algorithm isn't favoring whereas in your case when people see a post about dog meat then they're kind of inclined to you know dislike or like or comment or share but they're inclined to learn more and because people are more engaged engaged this actually makes Mm -hmm. the algorithm favorite more and so your post will be shown to more people and i think that's kind of the reason why you went viral right and also and also anger anger is a um is a very powerful it's one of the strongest um so it it spreads the most on social media so when i have um the posts that goes the posts that go viral are generally angering ones they're generally a picture of a woman next to a, a woman with a dog next to a steak or something and it says we just harvested number 845 and and those are the ones that go viral they have a person they can hate the woman and then they have the meat and they're horrified and a lot of people don't understand it and they they share it without reading it they say what did i just read and then somebody else says what did i just read and it just it amplifies so quickly before anybody can stop it which is that's what we want people to do with 
pictures. I mean, and what's so funny is we want people to do that with the farm that burned down from the pigs, but nobody cares. But you'll Never. care when it was one dog, one fake dog was killed. And we're like, oh, my God, the outrage. Yeah, um, it's so. it's strange and sad for the farm animals. Yeah. So what advice would you like to share with our audience on how we can incorporate satire yeah. in our daily conversations and actions to raise more awareness about the meat industry. Yeah, I, you know, one thing that I think that works really well about this is it, it, it kind of removes the us versus them in this conversation where we're just talking about, we're talking about dogs. We're not talking about what you eat. We're ta talking about what I eat. We're talking about what happens to these uh, fictional dogs. Um, so, Ideas where you can talk about where where you can talk about the and I, this is I'm I'm purposely being vague because I don't have any uh, big ideas right now about how to do it, but you know, finding ways to talk about it without having the emotion in it, unless you want them to have the emotion, and then you want them to have a big emotion that they have to chase down, and it has to be important to your audience. It can't be what's just important to you, and somebody who's never met a pig will not find a pig to be very important, but somebody who has met a dog or a horse or a cat or, you know, whatever that is, um, that that's a, a good touch point. And another thing I'd say is I do think the humor works a lot. Um, the humor keeps it light. The humor keeps the conversation. I don't know. You know, a lot of people think vegans aren't f funny. They think we're very serious. And I mean, that, that it's true. I mean, I, I was trying to do stand-up comedy and I couldn't, I was very unhappy. I couldn't find out how to like how how to make jokes about veganism in a way that reached people. Um and so I was really happy to find Elwoods to do that. But finding finding a way to communicate your message in a way that's non-threatening and I think that is through humor. Um and and I don't know if I I'm really I'm I'm really bad at this. I'm I'm more of like an artist and a creator. I'm not really good at like name dropping or rec like following trends of things that are going on but i'm pretty i'm maybe you know of some funny <laughs> animal rights activism that's out there um i did actually just see um the if you look up peppa is bacon oh no i was talking with somebody who helped create that um and it is lovely it is so good it is peppa if you don't know peppa pig is a child's yep. yeah a child's cartoon and they made a they made a whole thing pretending like they were selling bacon made from peppa for kids <laughs> like a, like some brand had come up with that so that's lovely. So stuff like that, that's, you know, stuff that looks real too. That was like my, my last thing I was going to say is I think that kind of the success of Elwood's is doing the, I'd like to, I'd like to tell myself, this is one of the reasons is it looks real. It's not good enough. It's not good enough to look like an ad agency made it. It looks like a family made it. It looks like somebody got on Wix, which they did <laughs> and designed something with some clip art. I mean, and that's, what's also really very encouraging about this stuff is there are so many great tools on the internet to make things to like try something out and put it out there and does it stick if it doesn't make something else that you know i i know that i'm not the only activist who maybe doesn't want to go i i don't want to go into a you know hold signs or protest in person i you know i feel like I'm a good writer. What can I do with that? So I know there's a lot of people who have a lot of skills, whether it's art, whether it's digital, whether it's, you know, making videos and 
we need all of these pieces to plant this. We need all of these voices planting seeds and you're going to reach people, you know, in so many ways, as opposed to just doing one thing. We need a million people doing a million things. Yeah, that's a very powerful message. I know a lot of people aren't comfortable holding signs and protesting mm-hmm. and prefer a more passive way to spread the message. Yeah. And so, like for you, I've noticed you have an Elwood's dog meat shirt on. Yes. You got the yeah. car bumper sticker. So, yeah, tell me the experiences you've attracted passively from just wearing these props. Oh, my props. God. So, I, I have... Um, I have a I have a tote bag that I like to carry and I like it specifically I like the tote bag cuz it only has the message on one side so I can carry it when I'm feeling confident with it out and when I'm feeling not so confident I just turn it around the other way if I just want to like get out of there quick um my husband will sometimes wear a hat an Elwood's hat um again that also made me uncomfortable because it's so much eye contact like like i i like wearing the shirt the shirt is fun the shirt is like it's bold and if people ask i'm like you should visit the website you should check it out they're like is that real i'm like i don't know maybe and i don't even have to engage i just tell them to go to the website but my husband was wearing the hat in a bar and the bartender was like what what is that is that real and it was what's lovely is like you mean different approaches so i will pretend it's real I'll pretend it's real until they figure it out. But he immediately will say, he's like, oh, it's not real. This is activism. It's an animal rights activist website. You should check it out. And the person still has to go check it out because he's like, why would a man be wearing a hat selling dog meat in my (laughs) bar? (laughs) Like all roads lead to the website, which is great. And finally, I do um, have a, um, I had a booth at Vegandale. um, And so it was really fun having these interactions with people and just pretending to be a dog meat farmer and just asking them questions, asking people questions when they say, they say, what is this? Why are you selling dog meat? And you can just ask, it's, it's kind of like the earthling Ed, Ed Winters type approach where you're just like, why does that bother you? You just ask them questions and they answer, they, you, you don't have to be that engaged with any emotions. It's, it's lovely. And what were some of the responses you've gotten at the the Vegandale event? Oh, they were, uh, what's great is so Vegandale, it doesn't attract just vegans. It's, you know, like 30% vegan and the rest are just vegan curious or even just health food. They like a food music festival. So I would say things, you know, like they would say, what is this? And I would just go into my spiel like we did at the top where I was like, we're just right outside of town and we've got these dogs and stuff. And they're like, are you serious? And I was like, why wouldn't I be serious? And they would say things like, you're you're sick, you're awful. And I'd be like, wait, wait a minute, are you vegan? Are you vegetarian? And they would say no. And I'd be like, well, I don't understand. What's the issue? It's the exact same animal. And then they'd be like, wait a minute, you know, why why are you here? Why are you here at this this festival? And I would do this, say the same things that I said to you, things like, well, we know we know people want to make a change and they want to do humane things, but we also know that people don't want to change. They don't want to do anything. So this is a way to change without changing. Right. <laughs> you can totally just eat dog meat and it's better for the planet and better for your heart. And then you don't have to you can you don't have to learn anything new. Um and they like they would get it and they'd figure it out and um some people though would not get that far. They would be so upset they would storm away. And the great thing about that is there's some people out there then who think it's real and then they have to go tell their friends and then their friends come over and then they're like what are you doing? <laughs> so it uh all they will people who don't it's great because people who don't get it talk about it nobody's going to keep to themselves that they saw a dog meat farm so 
eventually, eventually people will find out the truth and I don't even have to be there for it. <laughs> yeah. And it's great that people get so emotional about it because, and I forgot where I learned this probably in some psychology class, but, um, people make decisions based on emotion, mm -hmm. not on reason. Yes. So yes. even if that person is a super logical, rational person, at the end of the day, most of their decisions are made from emotion. So yeah, this is super effective. Yeah. So based on your success on social media, you've obviously gone viral. You've attracted a lot of attention. Do you have any advice for us in terms of growth hacking or just how to leverage social media to spread a message? Yeah, um, I find posting things. Um, it's funny. Be it, I think this is really hard because I thought that people were all going to post. I thought vegans were going to be against this and vegans were going to post, share things and go, what the hell is going on? You know, like they would, they would play along with it's, it was real, but continue in their vegan voice of saying this is wrong. But they, they went along and said things like, check it out. Can't wait to get this. This is fabulous. And then their friends are like, who, you know, why are you, why are you the vegan sharing this? So I think that there's a, the, the jig is up pretty quickly when a vegan shares it. So I think sharing, if you can find ways to share it anonymously, if you can find ways just to share, even share it and be willing, be willing for other vegans to go, you know, this is fake, right? Like for you to just be like, oh my God, what are they doing? I think that that like, because I've seen that from meat eaters, when meat eaters share it, they say, holy cow, what is going on? They get the most engagement more so than somebody who's like, mm, Corgi, it's great. So that's just one idea. Um, and then I have all of these little um, free downloads on the website. You can also buy printed versions of them that I try and sell at cost um, and like leave behind cards and stuff. But I have brochures and leaving them places for people to find, even though that's just a one on one interaction with somebody. Like obviously, social media, you can reach so many more people. But imagine, like, I was in the car once, stopped at a train, and I had the magnets on the back of my car. And I watched somebody, I watched them through my rearview mirror. I could see their faces. They they went through the entire journey in my back, in my rearview mirror, took a picture of it, smiled, like, tried to get my attention to smile when they figured it out. And knowing that that person had that journey on his own there's something special about that. That's where the, like, I think the art comes in is like, this is a, like a guerrilla marketing that has a one-on-one -on -one personal effect. And that one person, you know, had a much more rich experience with Elle Woods than a person who saw a Facebook post. And so I just saw somebody, so he, uh, a fan of the farm wrote um, an Elle Woods ad and he put it on a rock and he and his partner went for a hike to the top of a the to a top of a mountain peak in his he's in Scotland and he just put it there and he's like on the front of the rock it said is if you can't go vegan you should at least choose humane options and then you turn the rock over and he drew an entire ad for Elwoods and put it there now picture now picture in the spring when somebody's hiking and they find this they are going to remember it this is this is not just a pita ad this is this unique personal experience this person just had that's just for him so um i like even if it's not elwood's creating these little personal vegan journeys for people i think it's fulfilling as an activist and um adds something nice to the world i guess nice yeah it's it's really creative yeah so it's time to start wrapping it up here yep 
What's your ultimate goal for Elwoods and what's next? Oh, man, I want to veganize the whole world or legalize dog meat. I'm <laughs> kidding. Um, no, I, you know, I, I would love to, to make, keep trying to make a big impact, whether it's through, you know, billboards or um, just, you know, events and things like that. Um, it would be awesome if everybody knew who Elwoods was. <laughs> Even if that means the joke is up because suddenly like it's still a conversation. Um, so what's next now for Elwoods is um, I plan to I'm working right now on an activist page on my website. I've had a lot of people do dog meat tastings in their in their countries um, in different cities and stuff. So they they pretend to be Elwoods and they have these outreach booths that are, you know, very helpful. So I'm going to I'm going to create I'm going to create the. I have, I've been sending them pieces, like sending them the printouts and the design stuff. And so I kind of want to make it like a Elwoods in a box kind of thing. Um, I'm also working on, I'm working with activists who are making Elwood, Elwood, uh, experiences for their country that are specific because, you know, uh, an American cowboy doesn't, you know, fit in. So he's, he doesn't blend in as well in say the UK or <laughs> Port Portugal. So, uh, Right now, somebody has already made I and they're the only account besides Beyonce that I follow on Instagram. If you want to find them, um, they've made it in Finnish and I have somebody or in Norwegian. So I have somebody making it in Finnish and I'm looking for other activists who are willing to create these uh, sites in, you know, Spanish and Italian or in Spain and Italy and some other you know countries as we come up with them. So that way we can try and reach more people. But in a gen, you know, in this this fashion that catches people unaware. I, I think, I mean, even if it's just for a year to try something like this um, and inspire other activists to, you know, build off of it and do their own thing. That's, that's what I really hope for. Nice. And like I said, it's a super effective marketing magnet. Yeah. So I'm sure you can scale this internationally and take it very far. Thanks so much. So final question. Yep. From your experience creating Elwoods to going viral to interacting with so many people, what are the main lessons or call to actions that you'd like to share with our audience? Um, I mean, I just feel, I mean, again, it was just an idea for a bumper sticker. And it's just, I have a background in advertising. So the fact that I feel just happy to be here, that this is, that it worked, um, and so, but I think the takeaway from that is, is I think it's a Colleen Patrick Gaudreau um, qu quote, and she's talking about being vegan, where she says, you don't have to be perfect, you know, it, it, just do something, do anything. And I think that that's the same as activism. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect. Just do something, do anything, do, do what makes you, what, what you're comfortable with and, you know, what's good in your heart. Um yeah, and sorry to interject, but I, I just this just reminded me of a quote. Mm -hmm. Imperfect action is always better than inaction. Yes, exactly. It's exactly. Yeah, we need uh, we need a bunch of people doing it imperfectly. Whether that's whether that's even even imperfect veganism, but also imperfect imper imperfect um, activism. We need people doing anything. So, yeah, I and I hope that you know. I'm hopeful that people will find inspiration in this stupid dog beat farm <laughs> and we'll do, we'll do, do something, especially when they, yeah, you have an idea, do it. Well, Molly, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you.
please hand off to the audience where they can learn more about Elwood's organic dog meat or any other resources you would like to share. Great. Yeah. So you can go to our website. This is what I love to share. Don't share the social media, just share the website. That's where all the, that's the vegan journey is elwooddogmeat.com. That's E-L-W-O-O-D dogmeat.com. I am on Facebook and uh, Twitter as Elwood Dogmeat. We are always in character. We will not, uh, tell you anything about veganism only dog meat um on instagram elwood's organic dog and um you can there's a lot of resources also on the um elwood dog meat website um the about page and the resources page the about page will tell you uh give you steps for veganism resources will have all of these um you know all the supporting evidence science for the for the planet for the animals for your health and resources. Finally, uh, elwooddogmeat.com slash FAQ. Um, I adapted, uh, Earthling Ed's book, 30 something arguments about going vegan. Um, and I have just kind of shortened it. So I don't have to fight with anybody. You can just send them there and have them fight with themselves. So that's great. So nice. And you have a merchandise store as well, right? Where yes. people can buy a dog meat shirt and <laughs> yes, it's, attract uh, attention. It's, <laughs> yes, it's um I hit it. It's under the contact button on my page, but it's elwooddogmeat.com slash shop. And that's also where you can get free downloads. I have free posters, I have brochures, I have cards. Um um yeah, it's it, and shirts and mugs and anything that to piss people off in your life so (laughs) perfect well thank you so much molly for your insights and best of luck taking this worldwide yeah thanks for having me it's great to be here that's it for today's episode of eco chat all the resources mentioned will be available in the show notes if you enjoyed it please consider sharing and leaving a rating and review in your favorite podcast platform it really helps the algorithm to show our channel to more people And with that, we'll catch you next time on EcoChat.